0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 419 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT, but not only that, we have a special guest, joining us for this edition of Getting Over. And you know what? You've probably heard him on this show before.
1: He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat.
0: That's right. Two-time WWE Hall of Famer and the voice of NXT, Booker T is joining the show for the first time had a great 20-minute conversation with book earlier this week and i'm so excited to share it all with you that is coming up later in today's show off the top folks you know what we have to do here i need to remind you speaking of booker t that this podcast is all about defy so be sure to head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify drop those five-star ratings on apple take a little extra time leave a five-star written review if you do We will read it live right here on the show. We have 488 ratings and reviews on Apple. I'd love to get to 500 by the conclusion of WrestleMania. Once we finish those two instant analysis episodes, we will be delivering to you next weekend. So please, I know how many of you listen to the show. I know how many ratings and reviews there are. The numbers are nowhere close to each other. Please take a little time, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. We'll read it on the show, and we can hit that huge number 500 that would be great also please don't forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast of course you're going to get episode drops news analysis highlights all of that every single week but next week for wrestlemania 39 and nxt stand and deliver you're going to get live pre shows on twitter spaces you're going to have the ability to vote in our pre and post show polls and let your voice be heard on this podcast it's also a great spot for you guys to send us tweets dms questions, comments that we will read and consider live right here on the show. All of that by following us on Twitter at Getting GettingOverCast. Now, as with every episode of Getting Over, we will have timestamps in our episode description. So of course, we have AEW, we have Booker T, and we have NXT conversations all coming up shortly. But if you need to jump around or you're listening to us in parts, whatever the case might be, Those timestamps are available for you. As always, I hope you listen to the entire show. As far as the way this episode is gonna get broken down, we're gonna kick things off with AEW talking Dynamite and Rampage. We will then move into my interview with Booker T and we'll wrap things up with NXT as they stand less than two weeks away from NXT Stand and Deliver in Los Angeles. A ton to talk about right now with NXT. No question about it. As I said, we're gonna kick things off with AEW. And though I would call Dynamite an eventful show, I would say most of it all had to do with a singular storyline, and that's where we're going to kick things off today. So Dynamite opened with the Young Bucks being driven off by ambulances following a pre-show attack. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega were there in the loading dock with them. Page jumped into the last ambulance, while Don Callis seemed to convince Omega to stick around, presumably because he had a big match later on the card. Later in the show, Excalibur revealed Brandon Cutler was accusing Blackpool Combat Club of the attack even later backstage, Omega argued with Don Callis that he should have gone to the hospital because they're his best friends. Callis said they'll be fine in a few months. He suggested the Bucks being out of the arena would actually help Omega focus on the match itself. Then he turned to the camera and promoted the match. And I found that part of the storyline far more interesting than the attack itself. The way Callis was talking, it kind of seemed maybe he set up the attack because he's so focused on Omega returning to singles competition. Don't forget a couple weeks ago, he was against them doing the trios title match in the first place and Omega just decided to go ahead and do it. So Callus is clearly trying to pull Omega, not necessarily away from the elite, but away from being attached to them as a trio. He wants him to return to being the god of pro wrestling, the best wrestler in the world, the Kenny Omega, the cleaner that we all know and love. So we had John Moxley against Stu Grayson on Dynamite. Midway through the match, Grayson slightly missed a 450 midway into the ring. It's really cool how he does that move from an extended distance. But if you're going to do it, you got to hit it clean. That's just the rule. Mox then countered an attempted backbreaker directly into the bulldog choke. Grayson escaped another choke attempt. Mox came back with an avalanche death rider for the whim. Really solid bell to bell as you would expect out of these two it somehow fell below my expectations. I guess because Grayson had such a great showing last week and we know Mox is incredible, I thought this was gonna be a banger and it just wasn't, at least from this viewer. It also seemed unnecessary for Mox to use a super finisher to beat a guy who was unemployed last week. But a good match is a good match, you know what I mean? Uh, Grayson was later being checked by trainers when BCC approached him. They weren't able to attack him after the bell of the match, due to the Dark Order's presence. So Mox decided, hey, I'm just going to attack him backstage. He briefly choked him out. And it kind of seems like we might get another six man there, but then we'll go ahead and tell you what happened uh, in the main event of the show. And that was Kenny Omega against Elio Dale Vikingo. Kingo. Callus was ringside rather than on commentary as he normally is, Vikingo hit a inverted huracarana, Meteora through the ropes, shooting star press off the apron outside, and a springboard 450 from the apron off the middle rope inside. Omega did a monkey flip on the apron. Vikingo did a cannonball huracarana off the ring post outside. It was heavily planned, but it was awesome. Uh, Vikingo then countered a powerbomb into a Hurakarana out of the corner that dumped Omega directly on his head in a really nasty spot. Then Vikingo did a springboard Phoenix splash from the middle rope outside over the ropes into the ring. And that was the spot of the match, I thought. I know others had different preferences. That, for me, was the best spot. Omega hit two power bombs and two V-triggers. Vikingo came back with a jump-up swan dive poison Rana. Omega rolled all the way out of the ring conveniently onto a table at ringside, where he then ate a springboard 630 and then later a sunset flip powerbomb. Omega then dodged a 6.30 inside. He caught Vikingo with a V-trigger and hit the one-winged angel to get the win in, I'd say, about like 17 minutes, something like that. Uh, Now, Tony Schiavone came out for a post-match interview, and as soon as that happened, you knew there were some shenanigans afoot. He called it a, quote, match for the ages, only for Blackpool Combat Club to attack Omega from behind. An ambulance conveniently pulled into the loading dock with Hangman jumping out of the driver's seat. He stormed to the ring. Blackpool attacked for like five more seconds, and then they just... Stared, waiting for Page to make his entrance. He eventually did, holding a two-by-four with nails sticking out of the top, only for Blackpool to dip out at the last second. Callus then started like doing a tug of war with Hangman, only to purposely take a bump like Eddie Guerrero style, fake bump, to make Omega think that Hangman hit him. So they argued as Hangman yelled at Callus, and the show went off the air. So there's a lot to break down here, okay? First, the match. Spectacular to watch. V. Kingo is not just a fantastic and extremely athletic wrestler. He is incredibly inventive from a move standpoint. And he showcased nearly his entire bag in this match. I would probably pay $50 to $100 just to see him wrestle Ray Phoenix for 30 minutes. Like, I can't even imagine what that would be. Now, one's enjoyment level and potential greater rating of this match it's going to be based on what you want out of wrestling. For me to give a high rating to a match or a high grade to a match, it needs story, both storyline going into it, but match story is what I'm talking about, in-ring story. Drama, emotional reactions. I don't need false finishes, but I do need the sense that anyone can win the match. And watching this, my reaction was, I can't wait to see what Vikingo does next. I wasn't at all invested in the match. I was invested in his moves and his ability. So I would call this a five-star individual performance from Vikingo. The guy showed out massively in his first appearance on American television. I mean, you have to think that is maybe the best first appearance that anyone has ever made on American television. He also, because of his athleticism, completely overshadowed Omega, who is obviously tremendous in his own right. You, There's a case to be made. He's the best wrestler in the world. Him, Brian Danielson, Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi. I mean, that's the group for the most part in terms of entering talent. But Omega was completely overshadowed. And I think that was on purpose. I think Omega wanted Vikingo to, to shine. So this guy, you know, he may be a once-in-a-generation talent when all is said and done. And again, his individual grade Five star. It was a great performance from him. As for a match grade, though, I don't think I can go above like 4.25 stars in an A, which is the top grade I can give to a pure spot fest, maybe 4.5. But there was just no drama in this match. The spots, one after another, were great. And there were so many of them, you couldn't even catch your breath between them. But in terms of a match, I didn't love it as a match, but it was a spectacle super entertaining, well-placed in the main event, and of course, Omega had to be the one to win. Now, in terms of the post-match, Blackpool as heels are far better and more interesting than they ever were as faces. After this, it seems a little less like Callus engineered the attack and more like he took advantage of it to get Omega on his own, just as he did here, attempting to prevent Omega and Hangman from becoming friends again. And we got a story AEW gave us threaded throughout the entire episode of Dynamite, which is unfortunately rare, but nevertheless, it worked really well this week. So all in all, I would call it a huge success. And there's no doubt that Hangman pulling back into the arena in the stolen um, ambulance, very reminiscent of like Attitude Era cartoon, you know, kind of booking. But again, that's not bad. That's a positive But it was very reminiscent of that, and it was good to see AEW just do something a little bit different for a change. That is what piqued my interest the most. Now, as for a take on the actual decision to do this match, Omega v. Kingo, look, there were people critical that AEW just threw this on a show without any build, any real storyline relevance, any reason for it happening. And I do find some of those criticisms to be fair. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with doing a featured showcase match with two incredible wrestlers. V Kingo is not under AEW contract as far as we know, though they did put his Twitter handle um, on his uh, bio, on his uh, lower, when he went to the ring, and they usually don't do that with people who aren't under contract. So I don't know, maybe it was just a condition, but this is one of those circumstances where Tony Khan had to take advantage of the opportunity to get one of the top talents in the world on his show against arguably the best wrestler in his company. My actual problem with it wasn't that the match happened. It was that Tony and AEW said they would profile V Kingo on TV to set up the match. And we got one of those like speed talking 20, 30 second video packages from Excalibur on Rampage in which we saw a couple cool moves but learned basically dick about the guy. And then we got another 30, 45 second package on Dynamite, where at least Excalibur spoke slower and explained they were supposed to fight. It never happened. So now they're fighting. So if you want to make this match, I'm 100% fine with it. And I'm glad Tony Khan made the match. But if you're going to do it, put some fucking effort into educating your audience beyond they wanted to fight in 2021, but Omega was hurt. So they're fighting now. And don't use the, oh, fans can just Google him shit as an excuse. It is your job as a booker, as a creative person to bring up the audience to speed and not rely on them to say, oh, there's a match happening. Let me go Google research and check the guy's Wikipedia page and watch an hour of highlights of the guy. It's lazy and it's disingenuous as hell to think that all of your fans should know who he is. And if they don't, they should go figure it out on their own. Rampage was such a shit episode of TV on Friday, they could have easily done a two or three minute feature package on him, then put that on YouTube and directed people to it with a QR code at any point during the week or tweeted it out or whatever the case might be. Nothing would have been lost from that Rampage if they took some time to build up this match. So this again proves my point that Khan is a hell of a matchmaker, but he is not a good booker. On Rampage, Brody King fought Daniel Garcia. King largely beat the shit out of Garcia. He did come back with Walls Jericho late. Chris Jericho then used the bat on Brody's head with the referee distracted. And Garcia won with the knockout via three arm drops. Now the finish was probably the best they could have done to give Garcia the win. But the decision to have Garcia beat King was atrocious. Like House of Black literally just won the trios titles. King is their powerhouse. And he lost here to Daniel Garcia for a reason you'll find out momentarily that has nothing to do with House of Black. Now, if they keep JAS as challengers for House of Black, it could make some sense, but they could have easily put Buddy Matthews in this exact same spot, and it would have made a lot more sense to have Garcia beat Matthews than it did King. So on Dynamite, Adam Cole entered to loud chants. He said he feels great, and he suggested, hey, you're probably curious who I'm going to fight next week in my return match. So Garcia's music hit to zero initial reaction, though he did get STFU chance before telling Cole he would put him in his place. Garcia then put himself over, saying he was one of the best professional catching himself and correcting to one of the best sports entertainers out there. Cole said he liked Garcia, and he'd like him even more if he was away from JAS, but Garcia can't live up to Cole's career accolades and his in-ring talent. So on one hand, it was nice to know the match before next week's Dynamite. And Garcia is going to put on an absolute banger with Cole because he's really good in the ring. They clearly want to show out Cole upon his return. But from an excitement standpoint, in terms of putting on a match that I badly want to see, it was rather uninspiring given all the other options on this roster. And the slip up on professional wrestler sports entertainer, that was really good. And Garcia executed it well. I'm sure this is going to lead to Cole Jericho. But you guys know, like any feud with Jericho and the JAS, it feels to go on forever and you get exhausted of it. As long as it's a short feud and Cole wins and beats Jericho, it'll be a fine way to bring him back into the fold with a significant win. But that would also make the entire House of Black JAS situation make even less sense. So we're going to have to see what happens next week on Dynamite, who House of Black goes after, who JAS goes after. It's all kind of muddied right now. On Dynamite, the tag team championships were on the line, the guns against Top Flight. On Rampage, the guns threw their bags, their luggage, at Top Flight, thinking they were valleys of the hotel. They got into an argument about the best brother tag team, and that set up the match. The kingdom randomly attacked Darius Martin outside. That distracted Dante, who ate 310 to Yuma with the guns retaining the titles. Commentary explained this was a Ring of Honor crossover, which is just immensely frustrating for the vast majority of the audience that doesn't watch Ring of Honor, which you now have to subscribe to the streaming service to watch, and saw a random interference end a title match on the main show. FTR entered after the bell with the guns running them down, saying they'll never give them a title shot. So FTR offered not to challenge for the titles a second time if they gave them a chance, and they declined. They offered not to ever tag together in AEW again if they gave them a title shot. The guns declined, and finally, FTR offered to quit AEW if they lose. And the guns finally agreed, then spit in their faces. Now, Dax Harwood on social media the last couple of months, he's been hinting that their contracts might be up and they're deciding where to go. And they put rumors out there that WWE's offered them to come back. It has been clear the entire time that what Dax has been doing is storyline, which is why we've never mentioned it here on the show before. And that became even more obvious with this stipulation. FTR will win the tag team titles, announce they've re-signed, and that's it. Because the truth is, Tony Khan, if they weren't going to re-sign, would not bring them back and put them in a tag team title feud, even if they were going to lose, give them that featured spot for them to jump right to WWE. It wouldn't happen. You would just keep them out for the duration of their contract. The stipulation would have been far more interesting if FTR didn't hint at this as much and had been around and they... Or came back, did a feud, and then did this feud. So it's just blatantly obvious. It's predictable. Yeah, sometimes predictable things are good. In this case, it's not. On Dynamite, Orange, Cassidy, Darby, Allen, and Sting fought Kip Sabian, Butcher, and Blade. Sting was the surprise yet obvious partner. Sting did Orange's shtick. Then he did the Scorpion deathlock on Sabian. Orange hit him with Dog Millionaire. Darby repeated the move, and Sting added the Scorpion death drop with like a 20 second delay for some reason for the win. Darby then, after the bell, stared at the Double or Nothing banner like it was the WrestleMania sign. It was a really formulaic six-man, got the crowd amped for the show, no question, but it didn't have any relevance otherwise, and this was the first thing that we got on Dynamite. There was also a taped promo from all four guys in the Four Pillars segment from last week, with MJF saying, they all need to earn it by becoming number one contender. Now, while I hate these spliced promo packages that AEW does, I like the general idea of having three guys all competing simultaneously to become number 1 contender and stretching that out over about 6 weeks. The problem is I have a sneaking suspicion that they're all going to get the title shot and it's going to be a fatal four way. I would much prefer it if they all fought, you know, picked up a number of wins, maybe had a triple threat and one of them rose from that as number 1 contender. That would be for me more exciting and interesting. On Rampage there was a TNT Championship match, Powerhouse Hobbs against Ray Phoenix. Hobbs caught Phoenix flying at one point into a really cool power slam. Phoenix hit a rolling cutter. Hobbs then pounced him into the corner and hit a spine buster. Phoenix came back with a frog splash. Hobbs then countered another rolling move into a spine buster and hit a torture rack slam for the win. QT Marshall then came in the ring and hit a diamond cutter on Alex Abrahantis, really for no reason whatsoever. And this was easily, easily the single most boring Ray Phoenix match I can remember. And look, beating Phoenix was significant for Hobbs, no doubt about that, but it was not a great showing, and this partnership with QT has completely sucked the interest out of this title reign. The crowd was dead for this with the exception of a couple spots. And then on Dynamite, QTV was back with phone footage of Hobbs beating Phoenix. Apparently, Aaron Solo didn't just break into Wardlow's car, he also stole his identity, and he made a joke about Dave Meltzer's hacked Twitter account, This shit was fucking terrible. Hobbs being associated with it is horrendous. It is absolutely killing this title reign. And now they've booked Hobbs against Pentagon for Rampage. So Hobbs, not only did Phoenix have to take an L, now Pentagon has to take an L as well. Sorry, none of this is for me. Zero point zero. On Dynamite, Ricky Stark said he was done talking and ready to fight Juice Robinson on Rampage. He was frustrated and fed up by the entire situation, which seemed to be a little bit of an extreme reaction given it's been one attack and a couple promos. He also kept calling it an open challenge, but he literally named the opponent, the time and the place. AW, I know it's like a gripe and it's maybe a nitpick. They got to get a grip on the definition of open challenge and how it gets executed. This is just the challenge. That's it. On Dynamite, Tony Storm fought Sky Blue. The outcast attacked Blue outside. She tried to punch Storm, but hit Ruby Soho instead. Storm hit a Tornado DDT. Ruby distracted as Sky hit Code Blue. Storm then hit a Shotgun Dropkick Hip Attack, German Suplex, and Storm Zero to get the win. Can you guys guess what happened next? The Heels tried to spray paint her. Rio came out with a pipe and Willow Nightingale. She ran down as well. They made the save, no one touched, and the segment ended. The wrestling was fine here. This was the only significant women's segment on the show, and it was a rinse repeat of what we always get. It seems like the idea is for these six to fight before the outcasts fight Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and presumably Thunder Rosa, but then I look at this whole thing, and I'm like, well, who's going to challenge Jamie Hayter for the title? Is it going to be Thunder Rosa when she comes back? I I don't really know what they're doing. I'm not loving it. On Rampage, Taya Valkyrie fought Ava Lawless. Taya won with Road to Valhalla, the Glam Slam, Jaded, whatever the hell you want to call it, for the win in two minutes and 20 seconds. Jade Cargill, now back with Mark Sterling. She watched from the stage. Forgetful match. It was the only thing on the entire show, the only women's segment on the entire show. Two minutes and 20 seconds. On Dynamite, Jade backstage had Sterling create a cease and desist for Taya, not allowing her to use the finisher they both took from Beth Phoenix. Layla Gray then decided to give Taya the document herself in a match on Rampage, and Jade said her normal stuff. Yes, it was as eye-rolling as it sounds. Market Zero! Uh, the firm on Rampage did a training montage with Stokely Hathaway. It was pretty fun. Matt Hardy wore a Ribera jacket for good measure. On Dynamite during the Jade segment, they all laughed at the fact that Stoke had a match against Hook. And then, when Stoke entered for the match, the firm was trying to boost his confidence on the stage, but left him alone for the match itself. So, we had Hook against Stoke in a no DQ match. Stoke announced before the bell that he was not cleared by Doc Sampson and also that he happened to retire earlier in the day. And he ended up giving the note, the doctor's note, I guess, to Justin Roberts. It turned out to be a wing stop receipt that, of course, was not accepted, but he also said he retired. They apparently didn't accept that either. So, the bell rang. Stoke immediately ran into the crowd but got caught. Hook suplexed him outside but took a fire extinguisher to the face. Hook wore him out with a chair, suplexed him into a guardrail, and lifted him on a three count to lock in red rum for the win. Hardy backstage then convinced Ethan Page he should avenge Stoke against Hook. You know, this was pretty good for what it was. Stoke is nice at the comedy stuff. This was built as if it was the end of some long feud between them, and technically it was a long feud, but most people probably played it Little Mind in the drips and drabs that we've gotten. And, you know, it was a decent showing for Hook, but he's beating up on a guy that he could easily beat up. So, you know, the decision-making on the entire thing you can argue about, but I was entertained by the entire thing. Stoke makes me laugh, and that was really the purpose of this. The only problem I'm gonna have is if they actually job Ethan Page to Hook. That's gonna be tough to swallow if they do that. And lastly, on Rampage, Matt Menard and Angelo Parker fought the Bollywood Boys. JAS won with a double elevated DDT. This was a real match that happened on television, and it actually went like seven minutes also. I know they're Canadian, and this was in Canada. Give them a real opponent if you want them to stand out in a featured match, especially if you're building them for a feud, which is what AEW is doing right now. So as you can tell, I was pretty fond of the main event, Omega Vikingo, Kingo, and of course the entire show-long storyline we got on Dynamite. Much of the rest of the show, though, just wasn't really my bag, and it was overall a relatively disappointing, I would say, week for AEW. Rampage was a total waste of time, and it hasn't been recently. Rampage has been watchable as of late. This past week, though, it was pretty much trash. Now, before we move on and talk NXT on this episode, first, we need to welcome the color commentator for NXT, a two-time WWE Hall of Famer, five-time, 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 five-time WCW champion, six-time world champion, overall multi-time tag team champion, none other than Booker T to the show for the first time. It was a great conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. And we'll talk about it a little bit more on the other end. But first, ladies and gentlemen, Booker T. Thrilled to welcome two-time WWE Hall of Famer, Booker T, to the show for the first time because, folks, on this podcast, it is all about the five. You can catch Booker on NXT every Tuesday at 8 p.m. on USA
1: It's called the five.
0: <laughs> it's all about the five. 8 p.m. on USA Network on Tuesdays and coming up Saturday April 1st at NXT Stand and Deliver, airing live on Peacock Booker. Normally, I run down a guest accolades, but holy cow, man, it would take us an hour just to get through all the world titles, tag team titles, triple crowns that you've won. You're still so heavily involved in wrestling today, not just with NXT, reality of wrestling, your show, the Hall of Fame. Was there ever a time in retirement that you actually considered stepping away from the industry?
1: No, never. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die uh, a bigger part of this industry. <laughs> <laughs> my thing is that this is, uh, this is my trade. Um, I figured out wrestling uh, when I was like 25. I got into it when I was 25, and I, I always was looking for something. I was look, always looking for uh, that one thing that, that I loved, uh, that I would you know want to do forever, that I could do for free. And mm-hmm. when I found wrestling, man, it was, uh, it was a dream come true. And And uh, I said um, a long time ago, they're going to have to kick me out of this party, man. I'm sticking around as long as I possibly can, not knowing that, you know, it it would have lasted uh, 31 years. It's amazing. It's been an amazing ride.
0: It really has. And it's been about, it was about five years since you were full-time on commentary in WWE. When they approached you with the chance to take a permanent gig on NXT, what was the pitch from them? And did you have any hesitation going to the, even though, you know, you work with reality of wrestling, but going to the developmental brand and kind of leading that charge rather than going to the main roster.
1: Well, actually uh, the pitch was, we got a spot for you. Uh, it's only going to last for about three months. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going to be uh, back to my, my normal kickoff, you know, panel duties. Uh, but my thing is, uh, you know, opportunity knocks. You know, you you um you got to answer. Um, and for me, I, w- I was uh, happy uh, to be a part of NXT because it's it's really really awesome being a part of this next generation coming up and to be able to see it up close and personal and have a, a you know a, a footprint in the development develop developmental uh, process of these young guys is it's really really cool as well. Um, so it was a no-brainer. Uh, to do the commentary thing, uh, being on the road once a week—that uh, was something I had to think about more than anything. But it's honestly uh, so refreshing being a part of what the um, NXT universe is is doing right now, man. Um, I wouldn't—I wouldn't rather be in another place.
0: Well, it's interesting because your energy on commentary—it's always been your calling card, right? And it's—it's it's so infectious, and it matches the youth of the show, right? So obviously, you have your own students in Houston, but. Are there wrestlers from NXT and the performance center who have pulled you aside or anyone that you've taken aside to kind of bend their ear and help with their development beyond doing what you do on commentary?
1: You know, it's been, it's been, it's been several guys, but I I don't want to say their names or anything like that because I'm not a, I'm not a manager. I'm not a producer or anything like that. I'm just an advisor. (laughs) (laughs) So I try to, I try to stay out of everybody's way, but it has been so many young guys have come up to me and, and, and pick my brain. Um, we'll sit down and go through film study, uh, breaking down things, you know, um, piece by piece. Um, and, and, and my thing is, I'm never going to tell them about their, what to do, what to do. It's going to be about their, what not to do and what not to do ever, ever again. And, um, what to change it with. So for me, um, I love, um, being in this position, um, I'm, I'm like a psychologist when it comes to wrestling everything has to mean something and to to to, to see that light bulb go off when you tell someone you know if you would have did this that way you would have gotten this reaction and, and they see it and realize it, like oh man it's it, it's such a great feeling I uh, working with the young guy as well as uh the piggyback off what you said is as, as far as my energy level with the um, NXt uh, next generation It's definitely um, something different. I can't have it, it wouldn't be the same on the main roster um, as far as my commentary um, compared to being on NXT. And and I, I like the difference.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of your commentary, we have a favorite saying of yours on our show. We play it all the time and we love all about the five, don't get me wrong. But it's he don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Is there any backstory to that saying why did you start saying it or is it just something that came to you one day?
1: Oh man uh, every time you hear me say something uh, it's normally I've, I've heard it uh, uh, somewhere uh, it, it, and I was watching uh, I was watching basketball and uh, Mark Jackson Mark Jackson. Um, um. one day he goes, man, he don't want no bread, no water, just And I was like, man, that's such a cool thing. So I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not one to plagiarize or anything like that. I give props what props to do, man. And Mark Jackson is where I got that from. People talk about Shaggy Ducky, you know, Shaggy Ducky Crack quack quack shaggy ducky was a a a comedian back in the 80s his name was really you know shaggy ducky so i i'm never gonna you know uh try to take something but uh, and and make it my own other than taking it and making it my own
0: right well i'm glad i i'm glad i asked because i didn't know the background to that and i've always wondered we we play it every single show that we do and we love it so much uh speaking of meat uh the creed brothers in nxt right now from a pure power, energy, athleticism standpoint, they're drawing some crowd reactions. And look, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But they're similar a little bit to what you and Stevie Ray used to get with Harlem Heat. Do you ever get those kind of flashbacks watching them? Or is this something I've just cooked up in my mind and I'm being crazy? I
1: mean, um, there may be some similarities. Um uh... As far as Creed brothers and, you know, Harlem, he, we're brothers. They're brothers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, Just the explosion, but, you know, that power that they have, you know?
1: You could tell that both of those guys are – are working together um as a unit but both of those guys have um they're they're both individual um, jobs at the same time and both of those guys do those jobs and do those jobs well and i think that's what i like about the creed brothers nowhere uh, um, were harlem Heat um anywhere near as good as the creed brothers as far as wrestlers go um we we're more like fight fighters street fighters brawlers oh, yeah. and kind to throw a little flavor in there at the same time but uh, i see the similarities
0: Yeah, the teams are different. It was just more like that that power and explosion I was talking to. Speaking of Harlem Heat, it it seems like Montez Ford right now is starting to get a little taste of what it might be like to work as a single star. And I know that happened with you where Stevie hurt his ankle in WCW. You won the television title. Now, you guys are brothers. Obviously, Montez and Angela Dawkins, they're close. How difficult was it for you to eventually make that singles move or perhaps even realize that? You needed to, you know, you, you owed it to yourself and your personal career to go ahead and do that.
1: You know, um, I needed that tag team run in order to be a great um, singles wrestler. I started my career as a um, singles wrestler. Um, and uh, and one thing about being a singles wrestler, you're out there totally on your own and, you know, it's sink or swim. And, and w- one thing about being a singles wrestler You get one shot at it normally. And uh, being in a tag, for me, I I got a chance to have two shots at it, right? Uh, Starting out as a tag, becoming a great tag team, um, uh, and then uh, going into singles wrestling. Having that um, experience and that exposure from being a great tag team put me um, in a certain position right off the bat. Montez Ford, he's in that same position the word you know he's been doing the tag team thing people have seen you know uh him in a tag team they see how great this guy is and they wonder how good he's going to be as a singles wrestler I, me personally i i wonder as well i'm looking forward to seeing uh montez go out and uh you know try the singles waters but uh, i tell you uh you got to be you got to be 100 percent committed to understanding what this thing is really all about to go out there and succeed as a singles wrestler you got to know exactly what you want as a singles wrestler I remember a guy told me one day uh, he said uh, his name was uh, Chris Cruz uh, it was after a show and um, I think I was the television champ um, and he said book one day you're going to be the world's heavyweight champ and I go <laughs> get out of here man uh, but, but I, I never thought I was going to achieve that but I always went out and performed like I was the world heavyweight champion every mm-hmm. night. And I think that's what Montez is going to have to try to figure out if you want to achieve that success.
0: When you wrapped up the uh, WCW run, obviously you were champion, and you made the switch over to WWE. You know, You had built up a lot of equity in WCW, right? Proving yourself, proving that you could hold that world title. Were you apprehensive joining WWE, kind of wondering – if you would get booked and treated at, you know, that main event level the same way, was there concern there? Uh, because eventually, obviously you did win the World Heavyweight Championship uh, in WWE, but I've always been curious, you know, making that transition, because you were one of the, you know, not everyone made that transition. A lot of guys stayed home. You didn't, you were there. Um, was that a concern for you?
1: I, I was the only one that made that transition. I
0: just <laughs> From that level, from that, you know, from that main event level, yeah
1: apprehensive or anything like that Um uh, i was uh i went through wcw um, i've been there for almost 10 years um i had achieved the ultimate goal um that was winning the heavyweight championship uh, i always uh, watched wwe and I, I thought those guys were very, very talented i wanted to test myself against the best talent in the world i always thought i was the best talent in the world i always told guys you know it, it's it's a running you know joke that goes back to wcw but i always told the guys i was the one of the top five workers in the world all the time throughout my career i was i was top five whether people wanted to you know acknowledge that or believe that or not but i've always uh um, you know put myself in that position to where um i thought i was you know that good i, I believed in myself and in this business if you don't if you don't believe in yourself, uh, no one else is going to believe in you, but you got to go out in the middle of the ring every single night and, and prove you got to deliver. You, you can't phone it in. You got to go out and deliver. And that's what uh I was pretty good at that.
0: Yeah. Well, no question about it. Cause you didn't just have the in-ring talent. You had that charisma element as well. Guys like yourself, the rock, Shawn Michaels, you know, it's just, that, it's that separation from the rest of the pack and watching Carmelo Hayes up close over this last year. Obviously he has this huge match with Braun breaker coming up at stand and deliver. Everyone's excited for that in the main event, but being able to watch him cook, watch him do his work. How high is that dude's ceiling?
1: Oh man. He's a, uh, he's a guy that can really go like past the stars to the nebula. He's he's a, he's a, he's a real talent. He's a, he's a special talent. Um, and, and the thing is he does it flawlessly. To the point to where, you know, I need it to be a little bit raw. Sometimes I need to little. I need to, I need to be a little dirty, uh, uh, sometimes. And uh, he goes out and performs at such a high level. He, he's one of the guys that uh, his future is very, very bright. I know a lot of people are pushing for him to, you know, go to the main roster. Like right now, you know, they love to see him. You know, part of that, you know, the hurt business. Um, and and, and, my, and I would too. But I I just want to make sure that Carmelo Hayes has you know, crossed all of his T's and dotted all of his I's, you know, before he starts swimming with sharks, man, because here in NXT, you know, this, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice lake, you know, but when you get out there in that ocean, man, it's a, it's a whole lot different. Um, So I just wanted to be prepared to go out there and be a great white when he does uh, step into those uh, deep waters.
0: And there's something to be said for learning how to, you know, lead a company, right. And, and be on top of a brand. And that's something that perhaps, he needs to achieve first before perhaps moving on, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not something that you just step into one day and you just, you know, take the reins and everything is going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. Uh, You got to talk about it all the time. You know, when you get to that position, a lot of people, I remember making this comment, a lot of people took it the wrong way. Uh, But when you get to that position, the company got to trust you, all right? They got to trust you in every uh, way, shape, Form and fashion to not go out there on the road to get pulled over by the police, get locked up. A guy that's going to be able to make every show sick, tired, torn, ragged, worn. No matter how late you had to stay up that night before doing media, we need you up early the next night. That right there comes with you know a lot of uh, you know uh, will. Uh, You got to have a lot of will, a lot of heart. Um, Mm. It's not just about what you do in the ring. Uh, I remember a guy told me. uh, a long time ago, you got to know how to be champion in the ring. You got to know how to be champion out of the ring all the time. That's a very, very hard job in and, uh, and, uh, preparation is the only luck you ever going to have. So I just want to make sure he's prepared for what he's about to endeavor.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now I, I don't think I'm allowed to interview and talk, interview you and talk about NXT without mentioning Roxanne Perez. Not that I would want to. Uh, and it's for good reason. Cause that prodigy nickname really fits her. She started training with you guys at 16. And I'm just wondering, cause you were there for that development. How soon was it after she started training or was there a moment you're watching her train, you're watching a match, something happened where you said this talent is undeniable. She's her. She is it.
1: I mean, you can just see it um, as far as I, you can see that she really wanted to be in this business. I, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say for a minute, that, that I thought that she was going to get the rocket as quick as she did and become mm-hmm. a WWE star, like, like she did, like leave home. And next thing you know, she's going to tell. I did not see that um, at all, but this has been a dream uh, for hers since she was a little girl. And it's been a goal for her to actually uh, become that champion. You know, in reality of wrestling, you know, when she was like nine years old, and then to, you know, become the NXT champion at 20. Man, this, the, the, the stars are bright uh, for Roxanne Perez, but one thing about this business, you know, um, your, your star can be bright one day, and the next day it can deal just like that. You gotta be, you know, you gotta understand that, you know, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint, and you gotta try to soak in as much knowledge as you possibly can along the way. It's, it's going to be plenty enough time to have fun. Uh, but right now it's not the time.
0: So it wouldn't be WrestleMania season. If I didn't ask you a question about the big show um, in three decades of watching wrestling, this bloodline story that we got right now with Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, especially Jey Uso. It's just unlike anything I can remember seeing before as a fan watching from home, the depth of the story is a longevity, the major moments, all that. As someone like you who's been deep in the business and not someone like me watching from the sideline, what's your perspective of the storyline, what they're doing now, and kind of where it sits all the time?
1: It's high up on the list as far as uh, where the storyline sits. It is something that we haven't seen in wrestling in quite some time as far as the drama um, portion, the Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, you know, the Phantom of the Opera. Part of the show to where fans have a chance to feel a certain way, have an emotional connection to the story that's actually you know, happening right there before them. There again, you know, when you go to uh, a really good movie and it captivates you, you stand up and applaud at the end of the movie and they can't see you. It's a movie. But they they, they, they made you feel a certain way. And I think that's what Jimmy Uso, uh and J- excuse me, Jay Uso, uh, as well as the bloodline has brought out, as well as Sami Zayn, the acting. Uh we, we we've been watching, you know, some like uh you know, Denzel Washington type. <laughs> you know it's mean? a different you know.
0: level. It is.
1: Oh, it's been another level, you know, but, but that's, that's what, that's where the, 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 the wrestling has, you know, part has been missing, you know, for me. Um, You know, we've we've had a lot of great actors in the past. You know, we talk about The Undertaker, to Shawn Michaels, to Mick Foley's, you know, the list goes on and on and on. How many great actors that we had? And I think that's where we need to really start focusing on, trying to get these young guys to really understand that side of really making a a real tear come out of somebody's eye in that audience. Man, that's powerful.
0: It is, man. And. Let me get you out of here on this. You've been so generous with your time. I know you said the Royal Rumble appearance. It's your last time in the ring. I respect that. But if we wound the clock back, right, and you were in your prime, looking at the main roster, looking at NXT, who is out there that you would just be dying to go against in the ring?
1: Man, I'd love to go back 25 years just to test, you know, Carmelo Hayes, just to see how good he really is. You know, Mm -hmm. it's been very that I didn't get a chance to mix it up with that I thought were really, really great talent. And I always wondered how good they really was, you know, like uh, Shawn Michaels. You know, I never got a chance to mix it up with Shawn Michaels one-on-one. Yeah, got away, uh, because I always thought I was, you know, top five, I would love to mix it up with, you know, Shawn Michaels. I would love to go back 25 years and uh, step in the middle of that ring with Carmelo Hayes and test his medal and see how good he really is.
0: Well, hey, Book, I really appreciate the time. As always, again, you can catch him every Tuesday on NXT, 8 p.m. Eastern, USA Network. And of course, coming up Saturday afternoon, April 1st, NXT Stand and Deliver airing live on Peacock Book. Really appreciate the time. And let me just say it one more time on the way out. It's all about the five, man.
1: All about the five. Appreciate it, man.
0: I mean, what an absolute blast talking to Booker T, that energy that he has. I mentioned it during the interview, but even coming out of it, it is so infectious. He really gets you up when you're talking to him or when you're listening to him. And everything he's doing right now is super interesting. I found it so curious that uh, I don't think it was known before. Now, I assumed when WWE announced those new commentary teams, they were all temporary. And they were basically just doing it until Pat McAfee finished his work with ESPN College Game Day. Then Pat would return to SmackDown. Wade Barrett would shift back to NXT. But obviously, Pat has made some different decisions, and he's not exactly sure what his role with WWE is going to be going forward, along with other considerations of his career. And therefore, Wade stayed with SmackDown and Booker stayed with NXT, so I just thought it was so interesting that that was initially only a three month role. He did, of course, disagree with me on my take on the Creed brothers, which is undoubtedly his prerogative. Uh, but I, I did find, look, folks, I've been curious about it for a long time. The he don't want no water, he don't want no bread, all he wants is meat. The sound drop we always play. The fact that it came from Mark Jackson, an NBA former coach and now a commentator on television, I had no idea. And I watched the NBA and I've listened to Mark Jackson call a number of games. So that was pretty interesting to learn as well. And I loved the insight that Booker uh, provided with Montez Ford and the Street Profits, him going out on his own potentially. And of course, uh, his thoughts on the bloodline as well. And that long-term storyline, being able to get an opinion on it from someone who has seen it all in multiple decades working in professional wrestling, involved in some huge angles and around for some huge angles. It was great to get his perspective on that. So once again, thank you to Booker T and thanks to WWE for making him available as well. Folks, with that, let's move into the third and final portion of today's show, our breakdown of NXT. Next week, of course, will be our NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview episode. It will be a separate episode here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But here, we are gonna break down the penultimate TV show to NXT Stand and Deliver. So Pretty Deadly opened NXT this week, talking shit and excited to host Stand and Deliver. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams went at them on the mic and it led to a tag team match. Mello expected Trick to be his partner for that match, but Williams actually said it was gonna be Braun Breaker and Mello was shocked. Deadly attacked and then Breaker ran down and cleared the ring, uh, making the save. Then he offered Mello a hand up Saying he wanted him to be 100%. Backstage, Trick explained to Mello he made Braun the partner so Mello could scout him up close. Then he promised he would make sure they won the match. Breaker later thought that Williams was up to something nefarious, but Braun and Mello got on the same page for their match. And this was basically a roundabout way of doing a can they coexist? But we actually got legitimate reasoning for doing it. And that was so freaking refreshing to see. Very smart and well built into a storyline. So we had Breaker and Hayes against Deadly in the main event. Uh, Trick was ringside. Mello hit a code breaker and Braun added a spear, but he tagged in Mello who hit nothing but net for the one two three. Mello grabbed the title after the bell with Braun pulling it away from him as the show ended. It was just a lot of meh, all things considered. Like it was a strange babyface tweener and heel tweener dynamic to start, but I have to assume. They give us a really strong go-home moment next week. The build has been solid. The match will be great. The highlight really was Trick literally taking notes at ringside, and then he shared those notes on Twitter. So go check out his Twitter account and see what his notes were for the match. Uh, Roxanne Perez continued her storyline medical issue by saying on Twitter that doctors are not closer to determining the reason for her collapse. So clearly, at least to me, she will be a surprise ladder match entrant, ultimately defending her title rather than vacating it, either that or or they crown a champion and do the, quote, one true champion storyline after the fact. There has to be a reason they're going in this direction because it's definitely a convoluted story. So we had another qualifier on the show. We actually had two. Uh, The first was Indy Hartwell against Tiffany Stratton. Stratton pulled Hartwell off the ropes, hit a front slam, and landed the prettiest moonsault ever for the win in about nine minutes. Later backstage, NXT Anonymous caught Indy throwing a fit When Zoe Stark started ribbing her about failing yet again, it was obvious Tiffany would be in the ladder match. And at this point, you have to believe that Indy taking loss after loss means she's on her way to the main roster after WrestleMania. Otherwise, if they still don't think she's ready and she's just going to start another program as a heel alongside Zoe, that makes her career kind of tenuous long-term. Gigi Dolan said it's unfortunate Roxy doesn't get to compete and she doesn't feel bad for J.C. Jane at all for getting injured, because she deserved it. She also said she would do whatever's necessary to win the title in the ladder match. Tiffany came up talking mad shit. Promo was okay. Stratton has really found her character, and she's getting over quickly since her return. The second qualifier was Ivy Nile against Lyra Valkyria. Uh, Ivy backstage was devastated that Tatum Paxley turned on her. She said, they all thought she was part of Diamond Mine, even though she acted independently, but that Ivy's focus was on the big match. I don't know how they could think that she was part of Diamond Mine when they never welcomed her into Diamond Mine. So, like, where did that come from? Anyway, Lyra escaped Ivy's choke by flipping over in the corner. Then she had a German suplex and a roundhouse kick to win in three minutes. We got such a nice, decently timed match earlier, only for this to get relative shit time. The wrestling was weak, and 180 seconds is no time at all to build a match. Plus, Lyra is on her, like, fourth different finisher now, and a roundhouse kick is as boring as they come. I don't know if NXT is like listening to the show, people in creative or, or agents or her or whoever, but every single time I criticize one of her finishers, they debut a new one. And it's the it initially was an improvement and every other one has been worse and worse and worse. I don't understand why a talented wrestler like Lyra can't come up with a decent finisher. It doesn't make any sense in the world. Ivy losing in three minutes without any interference was kind of shocking. This was the down point of NXT by a good margin. This is for crap. Wes Lee hit the ring, saying he does all the open challenges because he doesn't want to prevent others from getting opportunities that it took him so long to earn. He started discussing his potential challengers when Dragon Lee entered to a massive pop and chant. He said he loves the chaos and he wants in, and Wes immediately accepted, putting him in the match. JD McDonough then came down talking trash and telling them to watch his match against Isla Dragunov. He said if he had gone after the North American title sooner, Wes would have already lost it. Dragon being in this match makes all the sense in the world, of course. I gotta wonder if it would have been better to never debut him on TV and leave the last spot a surprise. I guess they didn't do that because they want to sell tickets and these shows don't sell out as quickly as takeovers used to. But it would have been way more exciting for Dragon Lee to just make his debut in the match at Stand and Deliver. So we got Dragunov against McDonough. Great action here. Isla hit a great... Hip lock your Anagi or something, really damn cool move. Then he powered out of a twister and hit a falling Superman punch in a repeat of the spot that detached McDonough's retina. Predictably, they ran each other into Dragon. JD then purposely punched him in the face. Isla accidentally delivered a forearm, and all three of them brawled until Wes flew out of nowhere for a topecon hero. These guys, uh, Dragunov and McDonough, their chest looked like ground beef after this match. It was wild. Now, this was on its way to being a four-star or higher match before the DQ. Just incredible stuff from both guys in the ring. The booking made a lot of sense to put them both in the ladder match, even though they both pretty much could have just asked and Wes would have put them in. Axiom later came up to Wes wanting the last spot. Wes decided on a battle royal with the winner, entering the match, and it will almost assuredly be Axiom in that spot, and that will be the right booking if Axiom gets in, but with Wes, Dragon, and Axiom all in the match, not having this as the ladder stipulation on the show is pretty frustrating, I'm not saying the women won't do a good job with the ladder match, but I mean, Dragon, Lee, Axiom, Wesley, and a ladder, I mean, that's what you want, so I don't know why they made the decision that way. I think with the women, they could have done an elimination match, a gauntlet, so many other inventive, unique things they could have done and give the men the ladder match. But hey, we'll see on the show the way both of these uh, play out. But the North American Championship, the ladder match, the tradition of that, it's going to be missing from this show. Uh, Johnny Gargano's music hit when Javier Bernal came out instead to legitimate heat. He said Gargano took his spot at Stand and Deliver, so Johnny just stormed down kind of beat the shit out of Javi all around ringside. Then he grabbed the mic and raised the stakes of his match with Grayson Waller, issuing a challenge for an unsanctioned match with no rules. Waller said he'd sign it next week as long as Gargano was banned from the building, so Johnny agreed. Then he super kicked Johnny, did Bernal for good measure. The stipulation, it does add a level of intrigue here because it opens up the booking to excuse a loss either way. But with a ladder match already on the card, I'm not sure we needed another extreme stipulation maybe two of three falls would have been better here gallus was drinking and shooting pool when the creed brothers walked into the bar to challenge them uh Brutus drank a pint gallus won at pool the creeds won at darts and they suggested hey let's go ahead and do a title shot as the rubber match gallus accepted but when they all walked out of the bar at daytime tony d'angelo and stacks were waiting offering to buy the next round The guys all wound up wasted. Some of them were on the floor later. Gallus eventually decided to offer a triple threat match, and then they stuck the challengers with the bill. It was a pretty lazy build, all things considered, especially given there's no animosity whatsoever between any of these teams. The final part with all of them drunk was the best thing we've gotten inside of that bar to date. I'm not particularly excited about the match, but it does make sense to get the titles on the card. Fallon Henley confronted Kiana James about Sebastian, angry that Kiana was cheating on Brooks Jensen and then revealing that she snuck into her office. James didn't have any explanation for Sebastian, but said they shouldn't tell Jensen because they have to focus on their title match. Henley refused and she was gonna tell him anyway. Later, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn flashed a light to distract Henley walking backstage. They attacked her and James made the save. James repeated that Henley can't tell the guys and Henley for some reason was okay with it because... James saved her. So now she's okay with her friend being cheated on because Kiana James saved her from an attack. I guess the idea is that they need each other. Look, they got to get the titles off these two. The storyline sucks. As long as they flip them and use them as a transitional team and put them on Alba Fire and Isle of Dawn, I really don't care what else happens in the storyline. There was a formal great debate segment in an auditorium with Chase U and Schism. Duke Hudson gave a shitty answer about inclusion. Thea Hale then roused the crowd. Joe Gacy then talked shit about Chase U. And Tyler Bate jumped out of the crowd to give an eloquent speech about the bona fides of Chase U. And eventually this wound up into an eight-person challenge for Stand and Deliver. Gacy said Dyad uh, had already won a tag team match against Chase U. And Gacy had already beat Andre Chase in a singles match. So he denied the challenge. Hudson got him to agree though by putting the entire school on the line. So on one hand really silly and corny. On the other, I'm completely invested in it. Like it's straight out of a 90s sitcom or a movie where the kids have to rally together to save the town or save the school from some outside force. I'm actually shocked that this is going to be a stand and deliver match. It would have been perfect for a go home NXT or the first NXT out of stand and deliver where you need to kind of fill some time. Uh, There was a vignette for Eddie Thorpe, who is the former Carl Fredericks. Uh, Anyone who knows him probably knows him from NJPW Strong. This was the other notable NXT signee alongside Dragon Lee, though he's at a lower level than Dragon Lee coming in. Thorpe played into his Native American heritage, walking under the stars, dream catcher imagery, all that type of stuff. But then the segment ended, the vignette ended with him behind a DJ booth. It was a little bit confusing. He's a Native American traditionalist DJ, like it was, was kind of strange. Uh, he debuts next week on NXT on USA network, but he's already had some matches on level up. So you can check him out right now on Peacock if you so choose. And lastly, Hank Walker got a video package talking about starting as a lineman at NC state, getting used to NXT and then being turned on by his mentor, Drew Gulak. He said he'd work his ass off to prove Gulak and his doubters wrong. Later, Gulak and Charlie Dempsey just dismissed the entire video, saying Walker was nothing more than a nice guy. You know, it's fine low-card stuff, nothing that spectacular. So that was NXT this week. As we look ahead to NXT stand and deliver, we'll book the damn territory a little bit. We have a seven-match card, and we'll get to that momentarily, but this is the card. NXT Championship Braun breaker against Carmelo Hayes. Women's Championship Ladder Match, featuring Zoe Stark, Tiffany Stratton, Lyra Valkyria, a last chance qualifier between the three losers of those qualifying matches, and likely a returning Roxanne Perez at Stand and Deliver, so it'll probably be a five-woman ladder match. Johnny Gargano against Grayson Waller in an unsanctioned match. Wes Lee against Dragon Lee, J.D. McDonough, Isla Dragunov, and TBD, likely Axiom in a fatal five-way North American Championship match, no other type of stipulation, Tag Team Championship, Gallus against the Creed Brothers and the D'Angelo family in a triple threat. Women's Tag Team Championship, Fallon Henley and Tatum Paxley against Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. And finally, Chase U and Tyler Bate against Schism for the control of Chase U. So Ben Porges, uh, at Ben Porges, P-O-R-G-E-S, wrote in. He said, the event, Stand and Deliver, is the day of WrestleMania night one. And also, if I'm not mistaken, it's starting at 10 a.m. in the morning local time. Don't you think this is a mistake, that the crowd, let's be honest, is probably going to be the same crowd attending both shows, will be tired after watching seven or eight hours of wrestling from dawn to dusk? So it's a good question, Ben. You know, seven matches is the most ever on a main card at an NXT premium event. Ever. Never before. The most they've had is six on the main card and one on the kickoff show, and it is possible that the eight-person match is on the kickoff show. It's gonna be, by the way, Ava's first match in WWE since signing in 2020. But that really is a massive card that is indeed going to be exhausting before WrestleMania. And though there's seven matches, there's 32 people on this card. That's an average of 4.6 people per match, which is insane. There's three multi-person or team matches and an eight-person tag. And it just seems like overkill, too many matches, too many people, but we're not going to really be able to evaluate it once we watch Stand and Deliver itself. As far as it being the same people going to both shows, it's tough to say. If I was there, I would be at both. And yes, that would be wrestling from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. local time. That includes a venue switch and a lunch in between if someone's in Los Angeles but there's really no other time for them to do stand and deliver. And they wanna make the tickets worthwhile. So they're in a tight spot. They're trying to put enough people on the card where everyone that is adored and liked by the NXT crowd is on it so that they are motivated to go see the show. And at the same time, they're trying to compile compelling matches. It's just all really a difficult deal. And again, if they put the eight-person match on the kickoff show that does alleviate a little bit of the time crunch and the number of matches. But like, I don't want to see this North American title match go 12 or 15 minutes. I want this to be a 20, 25 minute banger. You know, the tag team match could probably get 10, 12 minutes out of it and be okay. It's just really going to depend on the way the show is booked. So we're not going to prejudge it. I mean, we will next week on the ultimate preview, we'll give our pre-show expectation grade, but I'm not going to judge whether it will or will not work Until we watch the show and figure out whether it did or did not work. However, at this time, I will tell you my pre-show expectation grade, it will probably be a little bit on the lower side just because of the number of people on the card. And I don't expect it to be a, you know, wondrous otherworldly show. I think it's going to be good. I don't know that it's going to be great. And that's really the opposite of the way we feel about NXT on WrestleMania weekend. Many times, especially in years past, Uh, before Trips got the book, we thought NXT would outshine WrestleMania, and in many years it did. Uh, This year, not the case. I do think WrestleMania will be the best show of the weekend, probably by a significant margin, but nevertheless, still excited for NXT Stand and Deliver. I just do question the number of matches and the number of people on the card. Now, we will get to all of that next week in our NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview episode that is coming up next Wednesday next Tuesday, before that, our WWE WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will have our AEW episode, and then we will have all the instant analysis that you guys can handle. Saturday afternoon, NXT Stand and Deliver instant analysis. Saturday night, WrestleMania 39 night one instant analysis. Sunday night, WrestleMania 39 night two instant analysis. Every reason, if you're a first-time listener of this show, to hit that subscribe button and join us here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Another thing that you can hit is the subscribe button on Twitter, really the follow button on Twitter. Follow us at Getting Overcast. News, episode drops, analysis, highlights, all those good things. You also get to vote in multiple polls next week, and you can send us your questions and comments for our instant analysis and our ultimate preview shows all by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the live pre-shows that we will definitely be doing ahead of both nights of WrestleMania, night one and night two. You can find it at Getting Overcast on Twitter spaces. Let's also not forget, especially with an extra shout out to Booker T that this podcast is all about so head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify drop those five-star ratings on apple take a little extra time leave a five-star written review if you do we will read it live right here on the show folks that wraps up a solid week here the getting over wrestling podcast ahead of what is going to be an absolutely wild insane week of wrestling and wrestling podcasting all here at Getting Over. I hope all of you are excited for it. We're excited to bring it to you. WrestleMania week is almost here. So at this point, the Silver King is going to save some of his energy. I'm going to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.